How's everybody doing out there? Good? <laughs> hey, I'm excited to bring you today part two of our uh, Surge at the Movie series 2017 version. If you haven't figured out by now, the movie we're going to be looking at today is Sully. Uh, who out there, by the way, just so I know, has seen this movie? Who's actually seen the movie? Three, oh, three or four of you? For the rest of you, what, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Do you have something against Tom Hanks? Something against Tom Hanks. I've only known one person in my life who did not like Tom Hanks, and I, uh, I figured she was probably a spy. You remember in World War II, uh, Germans infiltrated this country, and the way we trapped a number of them is that they did not know who Babe Ruth was. So you'd ask them who Babe Ruth was, and if they didn't know who Babe Ruth was, you'd haul them off into a prison, right? So uh, I think if you, if you don't like Tom Hanks, I think you're a little bit suspicious. That's all I'm going to say. Um, anyway, in Sully, uh, Tom Hanks plays Captain... Chesley. That's right, Chesley. Captain Chesley Sullenberger. And I think we know from that why he went by the name Sully. Uh, but shortly after takeoff from Newark's LaGuardia Airport on the 15th of January 2009, uh, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 suffers a bird strike that takes out both engines. And in the 208 seconds before that plane returns to Earth, Sully has to run through the entire checklist Consider all the options. Are the engines really gone? Can we restart them? What does air traffic control have for us? Can we get back to LaGuardia? Is there any other option? How about Teterboro, New Jersey? Of course, if we land there, we're going to be in New Jersey. What's worse, death or New Jersey? What, what to do? What to do? All this stuff had to go through their minds. Uh, determining that they could not get to any airport, Sully opts to land the plane with 155 souls, as he calls them, 150 passengers, five crew on the Hudson River in the dead of winter. If you are older than 10 years old, you know the ending, or at least you think you do. Sully lands the plane on the water. It remains intact. All 155 souls on board live. Thanks to Sully, although he would never dream or claim that he saved those lives. He would claim that saving the lives was the crew, the, the co-pilot, uh, the rescue teams from New York, the ferry boat captains who actually moved their boats to, uh, off their registered charts and uh, helped those standing on the wings. So if we already know everything about this event, why, why make the movie? Uh, well, it's the story that you probably don't know that this movie chronicles and makes the film, I think, pretty riveting. Uh, Clint Eastwood directed it, so you know it's pretty good. It's actually a great family flick uh, if you've got people above toddler age. Uh, in the movie, you see Sully being tormented as he has these nightmares about well, what if he had tried to get to LaGuardia and, and he'd crashed into a plane, the plane into a building in New York and killed everybody on board as well as people on the ground. Uh, there's the inquiry by the National Transportation Safety Board, NTSB. Uh, the movie seems to portray this uh, investigation kind of coming right on the heels of the crash or the landing. But in reality, in real life, that sucker dragged out for nearly 18 months. They were looking to determine who was at fault for the loss of the plane. If Sully were found negligible, then the insurance company who insured the plane would not have to pay for the replacement of the plane. And Sully would probably have been fired and lost his pension. He was nearly uh, ready to retire. Uh, the NTSB, by the way, has protested this film, uh, saying that the film casts them as the bad guys. And that they weren't looking to do any harm. They weren't just trying to find the truth. They weren't looking to blame Sully. Uh, Sully himself has argued, however, that the film rightly communicates 
just how he felt at the time under all this increased uh, bureaucratic and media scrutiny. He's told the New York Times, in fact, that the investigation was inherently adversarial with professional reputations absolutely in the balance. So what I want to do this morning to kind of connect the dots with this message, uh, this, the film and, and sort of God's word, I want to focus on three things that we see evidenced by Sully in the movie. And then those three things I think I, you're going to find are pretty relevant to our Christian walk. Let me just pray for us and ask God to kind of bless our time and my words. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this uh, movie. Thanks for this uh, opportunity we have to come together to look at not only cultural stuff that's relevant, but also your word, which is even more relevant. I pray that you would help me speak the words you want for me to say this morning, that you would find hearts uh, in, to your word, open and fertile uh, ground for truth and knowledge. In Christ's name, amen. The first thing I think we noticed in this movie, I just kind of showed you a clip, uh, Sully prepared. Sully prepared. That, 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 by that I mean he did not decide one day to get up, get into a plane, and fly the thing. I just showed you a clip of Sully as a youngster being trained. What we didn't see in the movie was all the hours and hours and hours and months and weeks he spent studying to understand what in the world makes it possible for an aircraft to take off, to remain aloft, and then to land safely. Uh, what about the aerodynamics thing? He's got to master that. He's got to master every inch of the aircraft along with all of the systems and instruments and to know about radar and weather and how to communicate with the towers, air traffic controllers, and to know all the things you've got to check out before you actually even hit the runway to take off. We didn't get to see Sully in a flight simulator, but in the movie, it's very clear he was a master of what takes place in them uh, to prepare you for flight and for every conceivable uh, eventuality you might encounter. The only problem he had was that no manufacturer of flight simulators ever imagined the scenario that Sully experienced on that flight, hitting, getting a bird strike, knocking both engines out at 2,800 feet. So what is our takeaway from this particular aspect of Sully's life? Do we as Christians have training we're supposed to go through? Do we have something we're supposed to study, to dig into, to, to master? something that we're supposed to be more than just generally aware of or generally acquainted of. What, what flight simulators, what manuals, what training does God have for us to prepare us for the eventualities in the daily life you and I experience? Well, surprise, surprise, if you've been here longer than two weeks, you know this is the answer. God's Word, right? The Bible. John, the disciple that Jesus loved, uh, actually in invested his uh, mother with as he was dying on the cross. Hey, John, take care of this woman. Uh, he says this, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise he has made us, eternal life. See, we have truth and knowledge handed to us. Interestingly, we're supposed to know it. It's supposed to be a part of us, so much so that it's to literally live in us, or as the Bible just said here, abide in us. It's to keep us on the straight path and safe as we go through this life headed for eternal life. You're going to know things because of the Bible that uh, are true, that those around you who do not know God do not know. In fact, you're going to know the truth. You, you will line up to be in sync, it says, with not only God the Father, but, but the Holy Spirit and the Son. 
this Holy Spirit that you've been anointed with that salvation, right? He's going to be right there in the mix. Scripture tells us in the Gospel of John, when the Spirit of truth comes, like when you get saved, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will speak not his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So let me just do this. Let me just take one example that he kind of touched on last week, just briefly, kind of did a glancing blow off of. Um, let's just take one example of the things that, you know, you might know that the world doesn't know. Something that the world thinks is foolish that you know is true. How about pro-life versus pro-choice? <clears throat> we had a recent march here, thousands of folks marching, among other things, for the right for a woman to choose whether to have an abortion or not. What if we did this? What if we sought to know what God thinks? What if we sought to get God's mind on the issue? What does he think about the unborn? If you read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, as I have on this particular subject, you're going to come across some interesting passages. I'll just mention three of them here today. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah is talking about himself and what the Lord came to him and said. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I, God, formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Seems to suggest, no, it doesn't seem to suggest, it states boldly that in God's mind, he's knowing, he's consecrating, he's anointing this person even before he's conceived, before they show up. He's pondering and planning for them, even before they're conceived, even while they're in the womb. How about this one? The most uh, famous one, you've all probably heard of it, Psalm 139. David's talking. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. This talks about God's specific involvement in the putting together in the womb each and every human being. And now uh, I think, for me, what was the coup de grace on the whole subject matter, as much as these other ones are pretty cool passages, uh, is coming out of Exodus chapter 21. Uh, God has been, uh, he's brought the people out of Israel, uh, out of the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery. He's got them there kind of clustered at the bottom of the mountain and he's giving them kind of, okay, you're now my people. I've rescued you. You're my people. I'm your God. And I'm going to give you kind of guidelines or rules to follow. And what's going to happen if you don't follow these? I'm going to give you those kind of things too, the punishment. Now, the goal is for you to be a people that will, in fact, hearken to the rest of the world, just how wonderful I am as God. And you will draw them, that's my goal for you, draw all people to me. And uh, in the middle of this whole passage, Exodus 21, chapter 21, verse 22 says this. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him, he shall pay as the judges determined. But if there is harm, then you shall pay. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So what we want to do is get our minds 
around what God thinks about the unborn. When guys fight, there was an altercation of some kind, and a pregnant woman is hit. So she's hit, right? She's already hurt. She's gotten hit. In this case, her being hit, being hurt, results in her child or children popping out prematurely. So harm has already been visited on her, and there's going to be a fine associated with that. But then the text seems to turn to the children. What if she's hit and the kids pop out prematurely, but there's no harm to the child? It's going to be a fine of some kind to make up for the mother, maybe a fine made up for what kind of harm to the kid, but listen, the kid's not hurt, so maybe nothing happens except for the fine for the mother. But if there is harm to the child or children and the child dies, God's declaration is that child was alive and was murdered. And someone's got to pay life for life. So mom's okay. She's going to recover. But the child dies. It's a capital offense in God's eyes. So what do we think about abortion? And please let's not get off on the uh, rape, life of the mother issues, which frankly are a tiny fraction of the justifications for abortion, not only in the United States, but worldwide single greatest justification for abortion in the globe is convenience. Pure and simple. But let's put that all aside. And as Christians, let our starting point be this. What does our God think about whether a child in the womb is a living human being? If that child is not deemed by God to be a human being, then killing it would not constitute a capital offense in the Exodus test. Mother's fine, the unborn dies. We're all good, right? No, no. No, the unborn dies. So does the guilty party. So your only question this is this as Christians. Are you going to line up with what God says, with what God thinks, with truth, with knowledge, or are you going to go off on your own with what you feel is right based on your sense of what's right and wrong, based on your own heart? I say, listen, go ahead. But you, you should know that relying on what you feel or think is good, as good as it sounds to you, may be totally wrong. Two, two verses, Jeremiah 17. The heart, your heart, my heart, is deceitful above all things. Desperately sicked, or another passage that says desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Proverbs 14. You think, okay, forget the heart, go to the mind. So the Bible says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, a woman. There's a way that seems right. Mentally, it seems logical. It seems to make the most sense. But God says its end is the way uh, see, see, once you know your word, once you know the Bible, once you've mastered the material, once you've mastered the manual, and you get the idea of God's heart and mind on a topic, it just makes, frankly, a lot of the issues of life a whole lot simpler, a whole lot easier to navigate. Hypothetical. Your daughter gets pregnant out of wedlock as a teen. What do you do? Knowing God's truth, armed with his knowledge and thoughts about the unborn, it will guide you unerringly when it's a choice between murder and convenience. Simple. So Christians, how well are you mastering the manual? How well are you mastering the playbook? Let me ask it this way. How many times this past week did you pick it up just for the thrill of getting to know what God thinks and what's on his heart. That answer might tell you a lot about whether you are a sully 
prepared for what is to come, or just a bowling pin ready to be knocked over? Probably making you uncomfortable. Let's go to the second point. Sully not only prepared, he practiced. Our second point about Sully, it sounds silly. It's almost like this turtle. I got a turtle up there somewhere. Nope. Okay. Oh, yeah. Let's do the video then. I'll overlook that. Thanks. Grab the video. There you go. Second point. Sully just didn't study the manuals. He practiced. He got in planes. He flew. He didn't just master the material. He didn't just get together with other gamers and, and do video games about how to fly. He didn't just do flight simulations. He didn't just learn about all the aerodynamics and all the engineering aspects or the flaps or the particulars. He flew planes for 40-something years. He took all the knowledge, all the truth from the manuals, all the truth from the practice stuff, all the truth from the training, all the truth from the simulators, and he flew. He used that knowledge and truth to actually live his life. He flew the planes. And by flying, using that knowledge and truth, he discovered the brilliance of the knowledge and truth. He knew that a plane could do this. He knew the plane could do that. He knew what a plane could not do. He grew more confident and more confident as a pilot because he logged in hours and years doing it, using that truth. The truth is how he was able to live, to thrive, and ultimately to survive. At one point in the movie, he says to his co-pilot, both of whom were being questioned for possible wrongdoing by the NTSB, he says this, he says, been in the air 42 years, and everything comes down to 208 seconds. Another point in the movie, he's being interviewed by Katie Couric, and she asked him about this incredible, huge, bold move that he had to try to land the plane on the Hudson River. Here's her response. Well, I was sure I could do it. She says, how do you feel about being a hero? Because I really don't feel like I'm a hero. I just feel like I'm a man doing my job. She goes, yeah, the right man for the right job at the right time. Flying for what, 40 years? He goes, no, 42. It's been my life, my whole life. And by doing so, not only just knowing things, but actually using it in real life, he was uniquely skilled to land that plane, know he could land that plane on the Hudson, a move that, frankly, most other pilots would have considered suicide. For us, it's not good enough just to read your Bibles. You should be mastering the truth and knowledge in it that's there for living in this crazy world. It's not there for mere memorization or for mere meditation in your quiet time. It's there to be used. Like Sully, you, you got to get out of the manuals. You got to get out of the simulators, out of the trainers, and put that into practice. You got to fly. You got to take the word and use it. You see this in 2 Timothy, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his little protege, Timothy. Be diligent, he says, to present yourself approved of God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. You, you, you see it there? Be a workman who accurately handles the word of truth, get out there and use it. Know what it says. Believe what it says is true. Do it. Be diligent. Go after it. Now, after you do this, you're going to know some things that the average bear doesn't know. You can rely on Siri if you want to, but I don't know about you. I've just not found Siri to be all that wise. But as Christians, you should know the truth from the manual about such things. I just made a list. You should know the truth about does everything that happens in Vegas 
really stay in Vegas? You should know the answer to that. Should you read your Bibles every day? Should you pray every day? Where do all the world's religions come from? You should know that from your reading of the word. Whom should you date? Is God anti-sex? With whom should you have sex? How often should you have sex? Be amazed what's in the Bible. If you're committed to get married, is it okay to live together? Should you have sex with someone of the same sex? How do you respond to the gender preference phenomenon we see going on in our culture? How should you handle the money that you have? Should you handle money that you don't have, i.e. debt? How can you be the greatest husband ever? How can you be the greatest wife ever? How can you be the greatest parents ever? How can you be the greatest kids ever? How do you avoid being a workaholic? Should you respect governing authorities that you don't respect, <laughs> that you don't agree with? And if so, what does that look like? Maybe more relevant now than any time in our history. How can you tell a good preacher, a good church from a bad one? What kind of person should be an elder of a church? What's God's method for saving someone? Is there only one way? Will most people be saved or most not be? Should you have cats? Okay, just testing to see if you're paying attention. How rosy should you expect things to be if you're a Christian? How do you respond to criticism, persecution? What does being a member of a church really mean? How do you get along with people who are different? By the Bible standards, are you rich? Does how you dress matter? Is there a spiritual world and what goes on there? Who is your neighbor? And can they be Syrian? Why are you here? Are you a product of time and chance? Or a product of purpose? Does life end at death? Should you take out a student loan to go to college? Is reincarnation consistent with the Bible? Is evolution? How do Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons differ from what you believe? Should we be eating cows? Pigs? Shrimp? Eels? Oysters? Horses? Little baby lambs? Cats? Is rap music? Again, just testing. Was it okay for you to enjoy Lady Gaga's Super Bowl halftime show? Should retirement be a goal? Is it okay to drink alcohol? Should you mow your grass on a Sunday? These and many more pearls are laid out for us in God's word. But here's the deal. They may seem odd. They may seem strange. They may fly in the face of our culture and society. But if you know the truth and you fly by the truth, what you're going to experience is what Sully experienced and what Jesus promised. Life, life to the full. Joy, contentment, the abundant life. Now, maybe there's nothing better. Maybe if you're a pilot, there's nothing better than going through your entire career never having crashed at all. But, but surely, somewhere up there near the top of the list is to have a crash and everyone lives. That's pretty amazing. Faith is nothing more than believing what God says is true, acting as if it's true. It's a common thread running through the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 in particular. I've just got one example here of people that hear what God says, believe it to be true, and then things magically happen. By faith, it says, Noah, being warned of God concerning things that yet unseen, constructed an ark.
If you read your Bible, you know that there were, there was like, we we're like in Middle Earth right now. There was an earth that was, an earth that became something else after sin, and then an earth, earth that happened after the flood. Before Noah, nothing, it had never rained. The water was basically formed dew on the ground. That's how the earth was watered. If God knows what he's talking about, maybe you don't think he does. But it says, by faith, Noah heard about it's going to be raining. You need to build an ark for something that had never happened before in the history of the world. And he's, he believed what God said is to be true and he constructed an ark and as a result, he and his entire family were saved. See, you live by faith according to what God says on something and you're going to discover, man, man, this turns out so much better than what I would have done on my own. I've got more joy, more contentment. I've got ability to share my faith with other people. People are coming up and asking me about the hope that's in me. It's more than reading the manual. It's mastering it. It's using it daily to fly, to live. Our final point. Sully prevailed. In the big showdown between Sully and, and between us, the Sully, his co-pilot, and the NTSB, the deck looks completely stacked against these two guys. It's as bleak as it is for this puppy, I think. The NTSB had produced computer simulations earlier that showed the plane could have made it back to LaGuardia or to Teterboro in New Jersey. They also had computer information that said one of the engines was still running. It could have been fired up again. But under pressure from Sully, they conduct flight simulations using real pilots that showed the plane could have landed at one of the airfields. Disappointing. And as the NTSB is about to lay the hammer down on them, Sully says, can we get serious now? And he goes on to make this incredibly eloquent defense arguing that the simulations have the pilots turning immediately after the bird strike back to LaGuardia or to Teterboro with zero time allowed to figure out, wait, were both engines gone? Can we restart them? What's happening? Where's our options? What does traffic, air traffic control say? He also coaxed out of the NTSB that the pilots who did the simulations had practiced 17 times trying to get back to the airport crashing. So the NTSB reluctantly agrees to add 35 seconds of analysis time before the pilots and the simulators could head for home. You wonder what happens? Oh, well, we'll see for ourselves. My favorite line in the whole movie. Does anyone need to see more simulations? See, when under scrutiny, when being criticized, maybe even persecuted, Sully was able to know how to respond. They later found the engine that the computer said was still working. Damage showed that the extensive, the damage showed that it was so damaged that there was no way it could have even been functioning. No way the engine was functioning. In the end, Sully and his co-pilot are completely cleared of wrongdoing because he knew exactly what to say at exactly the right time. Application for us. As Christians, we have God's promise that if we're his, living for him, he will be there for us, with us, in the tough times. Listen to God's response to Moses, who's doing everything he can do to talk God out of sending him back to Egypt to be a part of the rescuing of the slaves there, the Israelites, from Egypt. Moses says to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. Here's the, the downside of this, is that he seems very eloquent as he's saying this. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute? or deaf, or seeing, or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Jesus here, warning his followers that tough times could be ahead. He says this, nations will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes 
In various places, famines and pestilences. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it in your minds, therefore, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Jesus, again, to his followers, as he's sending them out to visit various cities, he's warning them of the certainty of persecution, and that when dragged into the presence of governing authorities, it says this, God will give you the right words at the right time, for it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. Now, we've got to be real careful here. This does not always mean we're going to end up unscathed, although it could mean that. When the Holy Spirit blows in at Pentecost and Acts chapter 2 and uh, unleashes this incredible ability that people have to speak all different kinds of language, uh, they're running into the street. Peter unleashes this extemporaneous sermon to a crowd that gathers and asking, what in the world is going on here? He preaches. They realize, whoa, we are in deep kimchi. We have just been a part of killing the Savior of the world. And they ask this question, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? And Peter tells them, I gotta have faith in Jesus Christ and be baptized, right? 3,000 people get saved on the spot. Now that's awesome because we, we love that story, right? Four chapters later, there's a guy named Stephen who's doing incredible signs and wonders. And some jealous goobers conjure up a, a charge of blasphemy against him. And at his trial, he comes out with a gospel message, frankly, that is as good as Peter's. But instead of asking, what must we do to be saved? They go, no, what was it? let's kill this guy. It's the only way we're going to shut this guy up. And as they stone him, he actually prays that God would not hold this against his executioners. And he dies. Bummer, we say, right? What a bummer. However, this no doubt made a huge impact on a guy we now call the Apostle Paul, who was at that point a persecutor of the church and was holding the coats of those who were hurling rocks at Stephen's head. So, I just wanted you to know, if you are mastering the word, if you are living a life that reflects the truth of the word, expect under duress the Lord to give you exactly what you need to say or do. And it can even be God himself speaking through you at that moment. Maybe you've had that experience. You're talking with somebody, you're maybe sharing the gospel, and all of a sudden it seems like something takes over your mind and your heart and you are just sharing, and it's almost like you're outside your body watching you do it. Everybody had that experience? If you have been Christians for a long time, you've had that experience. Truth is that being steeped in God's word, walking in his truth day in, day out, allows you to be prepared to be used for something amazing, something divine, maybe when you least expect it. Sully saved 155 lives. Who knows how God might use you? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this movie that we're able to unearth some truth about us. Great movie, but you're also a great God. And you have amazing things for us. You've given us your word. You've given us your heart. You've told us what you're like, what you are like. And you tell us that you love us. And you've given us your word that we might understand it, master it, live by it as if it's true, and experience life to the full. Or maybe even during our time of communion here, we might repent of treating it lightly. we got other things to do, other ways to spend our time, 
other than being in your word. May we have fresh eyes to hear you, a fresh hunger to want to hear you, to want to know you, and to see you interact with our lives. How many of us this week didn't actually feel God around us as we walked the last seven days? God, raise us up. Make us warriors. Make us believe your word. Make us understand it. Live life through us that people may see you, that we might actually do what the Israelites were supposed to do, that because of us and you in us, people would come to know you, would come to ask questions, would want to know who you are, would come to you to be saved. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.